Uh, today we're finishing up our month-long series on missions, and we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone or device, I encourage you to follow along and at least keep Philippians 4 open uh, throughout the message. Uh, the text will also be behind me as well. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. And this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. So Paul's not in Philippi. He's somewhere else, but he's writing to them. So think of this as like an ancient uh, email, I guess. You could think of it that way. That's how we communicate with people afar right now. But that's kind of like the equi- equivalent of it to some degree. But Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. So we're partway through his letter here, and uh, he's going to respond about a gift that the Philippian church sent to him. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that it is to be, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things, all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that you be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And may God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our Father, to our, to God, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer as we continue? Father God, thank you for being who you are, that you're loving, that you're good, you're merciful. Father, we ask that as we reflect on these these words that we just heard and that we just read, that you would translate them from the pages that we just heard them read and and. Uh, hurt and saw them read from, that you would take those words and translate them to the everyday details of our life. That they wouldn't just be words on a page, but that they would show the power of your word and being active in our life today through the power of your spirit. Father, lead us and guide us to know how it is you're calling us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. It's by the power of your spirit and through your son Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Not too long ago, a couple that we know in Illinois presented one of their products, the toilet timer, on the popular TV show Shark Tank. If you have time, I would encourage you to go watch the clip on YouTube because it's actually fairly entertaining, just the exchange that they go back and forth on because they're like, you have got to be kidding me. What product have you brought before us? Like, there's no way there's a serious proposal that's behind this. And they are shocked when they find out how much uh, the guy who runs the company has made within a year's worth of time from this one product. And then, the, you know, that had their attention. 
But if you're not familiar with Shark Tank, it's a show where companies seek capital from investors in exchange for equity in their company. In their pitch to the sharks, the couple friend that we know asked for a $200,000 investment in exchange for 10% equity in their company. And as usual, the sharks went back and forth with the proposal, and some literally poo-pooed the idea and were out. Ultimately, one of the sharks counter-offered a deal of $200,000 for 25% equity. At first, the couple was going to take it, and that's how the, the clip of the show ends. But on our friend's Facebook account later, sometime after the show had aired, they announced that they didn't end up finalizing the deal in order to retain full equity in their company. However, they highly praised the show and the opportunity that they were able to experience through it. It's probably fairly obvious that a pitch to an investor in a company will involve a reciprocal relationship. That is, it will involve a give and take on both parties. The investor will give up capital in order to take equity, while the company will give up equity in order to take the investment. While this dynamic between a company and an investor uh, is fairly common in the business world, the same dynamic also occurs between two people in a friendship. And we, I, we all likely can easily recognize this dynamic in our own relationships as well. In a friendship, we expect reciprocity. We expect there to be a give and a take. A two-way relationship where both parties contribute to the relationship and where both parties benefit from the relationship. The relationship that the church at Philippi had with the Apostle Paul also shared this give-and-take characteristic. Throughout the New Testament writings about Paul's life, we get a glimpse into the relationship that Paul and the church in Philippi shared with each other. At surface level, much of the language that Paul uses in his writing with the church in Philippi appears to reflect the standard give-and-take, reciprocal-style friendship of the Greco-Roman culture at that time. So, meaning, that part of the Greco-Roman culture at that time, there were, like, unstated rules of friendship. Like, if you didn't reciprocate and give, like, if it wasn't a two-way thing, like, it was obvious that wasn't a friendship. Like, there were these unstated rules that you had to follow, if you will, for a friendship. And you see those dynamics playing out in the friendship or relationship that Paul has with the Church of Philippi, meaning they're just living by the cultural code of their time, if you will. But at a more reflective level, a more remarkable dynamic emerges in the type of relationship that Paul and the Church in Philippi share. A relationship that goes beyond just the mere give and take dynamic of a friendship. What emerges is a relationship immersed into the mission of God. Where all parties mutually share, contribute, and participate in God's mission. The mission of God to save the world from sin and death. God's mission to reconcile the world that is separated from his love and his care. This is a relationship unlike any other that people have the chance to participate in. And it's a relationship that's only possible through following Jesus and participating in the life of God. As we observe this relationship between the Apostle Paul and the church in Philippi, there is one dynamic that emerges, and that is that there is always fruit that comes to bear by a person sharing in participation and contribution to the work of God's mission. In other words, there is always fruit that comes to bear by a person sharing in the mission of God. One of the ways of sharing in and participating or contributing to the work of God's mission that we see in this relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi 
is that of an ongoing, faith-fueled, sacrificial financial gift. A faith promise, if you will. And in this relationship, we see that a faith promise always bears fruit for God's mission. A faith promise always bears fruit for God's mission. Most of us in this room, if we pay any attention to the bills, are well aware of the draft in 2018 where Josh Allen was drafted. And as most of us know, he was a highly ranked prospect, but nobody really knew what he could become. He was an unknown commodity. Most didn't know that he really could become what he has become. And the bills eventually drafted Allen with the number seven pick. While Josh Allen was somewhat of a wild card, it's very likely that he would have been drafted high had the Bills not selected him with their number seven pick. However, had the Bills slid down further into the draft, there was little guarantee that they ended up with a top-ranked quarterback. So if you will, the Bills had more to lose if they didn't take advantage of the opportunity. Josh Allen probably was going to go somewhere in there regardless. In the end, Josh Allen was very little in need of the Bills. But the Bills were very much in need of seizing the opportunity to take a highly ranked quarterback like Josh Allen. Seizing the opportunity. In verse 10 of Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul recognizes the financial support that the church in Philippi sent to him. Paul recognizes that their gift is far more than just a transaction of money. And that it's actually a result of the Philippian church's concern for Paul's well-being as a person. They care about him. That's what it reflects here. Their financial gift is a result of their friendship, of their relationship. Oddly, though, Paul hints at a lapse in their relationship when he writes of the Philippians' renewed concern for him. Renewed, like where did it drop off? Like what what happened here? As well, his statement about the Philippians not having an opportunity to show concern for him also shows a lapse in this relationship. So what is going on here? As best I can tell, there is not a strained relationship in that one side is upset with the other. And that's why the Philippian church stopped financially supporting Paul. Rather, it seemed seems best to understand it this way. Paul didn't have need of their support. And we learn elsewhere in the Bible that Paul sometimes would support himself as a tent maker. And so being able to make his own money from his own work, he didn't need their financial support at that time. So the time between the Philippian church's first time of supporting Paul and the time of the writing of this letter, Paul, in that in-between time, was relying on his tent-making job for finances. So the Philippian church had no opportunity to financially support him. It appears to be a reason more based on Paul's approach to his ministry than a strained relationship between him and the Philippian church. One of the main differences that has changed between the last opportunity that the Philippian church supported Paul in the writing of this letter is that Paul is now imprisoned under house arrest. That would definitely hamper your opportunity to work, right? Like when you're stuck at home and, well, all of us kind of went through this the last couple of years for the most part. Like, how do I do my work when I'm stuck at home? But you see the kind of situation that Paul would be faced with. Paul has no way of self-supporting himself or providing for his letter-writing ministry to churches when he is unable to work as a tent maker under arrest. But as we'll hear about in a moment, Paul did not see himself as lacking in anything, which we might go like, how does that work? How, how do you have that kind of attitude? 
While he accepts the financial gift from the Philippian church, he sees it as something more than just a stopgap to cover his finances. So while Paul does not view his situation as covering the needs that he has, the Philippian church saw that this is an opportunity that they could seize upon to bless and participate in the work that Paul was doing as an imprisoned missionary. Continuing with thinking about the bills from my earlier illustration, one of the main ongoing stories in our area is the negotiation going on between public officials and the Buffalo Bills ownership for the building of a new football stadium. Although not everyone will likely agree on the ending result of that negotiation, what will still be the case is that it will be a partnership that will be established. A partnership of some sort will be established in the end, where both the financial and labor portions of the project will be shared by both public and private entities. Collectively, multiple people will take responsibility in the end for the making of a new stadium becoming a reality. It's this dynamic of sharing and responsibilities that we see occurring with the financial gift that the Philippian church sends to Paul. In verse 14, Paul describes the Philippians, Philippians offering as sharing in his troubles. On one hand, we have the Philippian church having a hand in sharing or participating in alleviating the practical financial situation that Paul found himself having while imprisoned. That's one way that they could be participating in his troubles. But the Philippian church's participation in Paul's troubles likely expand beyond his personal imprisonment. We get a glimpse of this as we take a moment to look at the history of how the Philippian church has gone about financially supporting the mission of God in the past. Paul himself alludes to some of this history in the following verses, verses 15 and 16. In those verses, Paul alludes to the unique relationship that began and became established between the Philippian church and himself. While Paul is often noted as predominantly being a traveling tent maker as he went about his missionary work, in Acts 18, verse 5, so in a different letter or a different part of the Bible in the New Testament, in Acts 18, verse 5, Luke, the author of Acts, captures that some of the portion of Paul's ministry was also solely dedicated to preaching, meaning there was a part of his life where he wasn't making tents and he solely dedicated himself to preaching the gospel. And while this verse is capturing a later time in Paul's missionary ventures, it does capture that Paul did in fact receive financial support from another party, in this case, from a church, to finance the missionary work that he was about. In this instance, his co-workers, possibly Silas or Timothy or maybe both of them, brought a financial gift from the church in Macedonia, where Philippi is located. So think of Macedonia as more of like a region, and then Philippi is a city within that region. And so the Philippian church, Paul alludes to, was like the, the main church that supported his work early on. Like he point blanks highlight, point blank highlights that they are the sole people who supported him. Second Corinthians 11 verse 9 describes, uh, this, uh, the support of the Macedonian churches of which Philippi is part of in this way. And when I was with the Corinthians, this is Paul talking, and needed something, I was not a burden to them, For the brothers who came from Macedonia, where Philippi is, supplied what I needed. So here we see that example of a church, you know, Philippi being one of them, if you will, supporting Paul in another location financially to do the work somewhere else. 
Paul is describing that he was financially freed up to make Jesus known in Corinth due to the financial support that he received from the churches located in Macedonia, among which the Philippian church is one of them. And Paul himself notes in Philippians 4, verse 15, that the Philippian church, as I noted earlier, was the sole financial supporter during a lot of his missionary work. And beyond the Philippians' initial financial gift to fund his ministry in Philippi, Paul mentions in verse 16 that the Philippian church also went on to support him as he moved on as a missionary in Thessalonica. So meaning the Philippian church wasn't just supporting Paul when he was doing work among them, but you see that they support him as he moves on to do ministry somewhere else, the work of a missionary. While it's possibly clear now to see the financial relationship between Paul and the Philippian church, what still needs to be connected is how the Philippians' financial support participated in Paul's troubles. Ultimately, the troubles that Paul is speaking of are the troubles that came from opposition to the good news of Jesus, of which resulted in Paul being imprisoned. But opposition to the good news of Jesus can also be seen in the life of the Philippian church as well. And the key to seeing this is how Paul describes the gift that they send to him as being a sacrifice to God. This wasn't like, oh, they have a bunch of money and they're just sending him the extra. No, what they sent, he considers to be a sacrifice on their end. Paul understood that this gift sent to him was not void of sacrifice on the Philippian church's part. In other words, the Philippian church had to give up something to or endure some sort of tribulation in order to make a financial gift possible to give to Paul. We get a glimpse into what this sacrifice might have entailed earlier in the Philippian letter, where Paul writes in chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, and Paul himself points to a situation in which the Philippian church is suffering and struggling. He says there, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul is pointing to some sort of tribulation that they are enduring, while at the same time they're finding this money to be able to send to him. Paul compares this situation to one in which the Philippian church saw in Paul's own life. What this could be is in reference to the persecution that Paul experienced when he was living in Philippi. Paul's ministry in Philippi caused an uproar by the Philippian town when he cast out a demon out of a slave girl who was known for telling fortunes. Of which, when Paul cast out the demon of this little girl, the master of that little girl was not very happy because now his income from her telling fortunes disappeared. And as he becomes mad, the town surrounds him and causes a mob, and they beat up and imprison Paul and his co-worker. So now they end up in jail for this whole thing. And it's while they're in jail, they end up praising God and an earthquake happens and releases them from prison. So not only you have the town who is mad at Paul and Silas for what they did, but now they broke out of jail somehow. Like, I mean, you could tell why the town is like, who are these guys? Like, get out of here. What are you doing? You're causing a ruckus in our town. But it's that kind of persecution that Paul is alluding to. And it seems that he's alluding to that the Philippian church endures something of the same type of thing, even after Paul has left. It's likely that this unfavorable impression by the town still exists for the remaining Philippian church. 
So not only is the Philippian church generously giving of their finances to support Paul, but they are also dedicated to do so in a very hostile environment. We may also get a glimpse into the Philippian church's suffering in providing and offering by what is said of the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians 8, it's described as a separate offering that the, the Macedonian churches are giving. And it's one in which Paul ends up going to actually deliver to the churches in Jerusalem. But the context of, Mas- of the churches giving in 2 Corinthians 8 probably gives us an idea of the, the reason or the impetus for why the Philippian church would give to missionary work in the first place. And what we encounter in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4 is this. This is Paul writing again. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So remember, Philippi is one of the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. We see here that the Macedonian churches, again, which includes the Philippian church, gave even when they didn't have much to give. And they ended up giving more than what they thought they could give in the end. And they gave even though they faced tribulation to do so. We see here that the Philippian church indeed participated in uh, the same kinds of troubles that Paul was dealing with. Ultimately, Paul describes this offering as being made because of the grace of God. What is described here is the Philippian church participating in a faith promise. The Philippian church was committed to participate in God's mission, even though they didn't have much, even though they were under fire for their beliefs. And in the end, because of their dedication to giving toward God's mission, God, not of the Philippian church's own efforts, but because of God's grace, they were supplied more money than what seemed possible in their poverty. God provided no matter the situation that they faced. Many of you know that I attended graduate school at Lincoln Christian Seminary in Lincoln, Illinois. And while my time there afforded me a master's degree in the end, Deeper than a master's degree of what I benefited from going there was the ability to have the time to become a better self-learner or an ongoing learner. When I look back at my time there, like, yes, I got a degree, but the thing that I think I gained the most in being there was learning how to be a self-learner or to keep learning beyond my time in school. My time in graduate school, if you will, served a greater benefit than just the practical benefit of receiving a degree. Philippians 4.13 has become a verse often quoted by people in difficult times. I can do all this through him, speaking of Christ, who gives me strength. Paul makes this statement following his recognition of the financial gift from the Philippian church and an interesting statement about how that gift intersects with his daily needs. Here there is that Greco-Roman cultural element taking place in Paul's writing. As mentioned earlier, much of the language that Paul uses in his writing with the church in Philippi appears to reflect the standard give-and-take reciprocal-style relationship of a Greco-Roman culture. Part of, that rece- part of that relationship depends on the dynamic of giving and receiving. 
In this instance, the Philippian church gave, and Paul then is to receive it. Yet Paul jukes this dynamic by stating in verse 11 that he is not in need. Well, I mean, doesn't that just seem like a slap in the face to such a generous gift by the Philippian church? Oh, yeah, thanks for sending that. I I don't need it. But then he doesn't, like, say, like, I'm sending it back. Like, I mean, there's not any of that included there. But it's what follows this comment by Paul that makes all the difference. Paul, in his wording, refashions the two-way Greco-Roman friendship dynamic to now be a three-way bond. Paul reframes this give-and-take relationship to include God among himself and the Philippian church. This isn't just a give-and-take relationship. This is a give-and-take relationship among three different parties now, and God is one of those in the midst of it. And it's here that Paul points to God being the ultimate lavish giver of all good things. See verse 19. Where Paul says, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And it's because God is the lavish giver of all good things that Paul is able to be content in want or in plenty. This provisional dynamic of God's character is what gives Paul the strength to not give up when he is imprisoned. But he's also directing the Philippian church to realize that God's provisional character is also what gives the Philippian church strength to give amidst tribulation and poverty. This is the way of Jesus' life that Paul and the Philippian church are called to live within as well. So what we see here is that, yeah, the Philippian church gave, but was it them that gave? Ultimately, it's God who has given to both Paul and the Philippian church. It's not just the the Philippian church gave and Paul's to receive it. No, there's God now in this equation. And it's not just this give and take, but it's how do they interact with God ultimately in the end that matters. In the end, Paul's physical or financial need is not the focus. Contributing to God's mission is the focus. Paul is reframing the need to be about God's kingdom becoming established in the life of each person. This is the end goal, the object, or the destination of the Philippians' financial partnership with Paul. Yes, the Philippian church, their gift contributed to Paul's needs, but the more profound effect was a contribution to God's mission in the world to make Jesus known. Paul further picks up this theme in highlighting that the more profound result that the Philippian church benefits from with their financial gift is now credit toward their account in God's kingdom. See verse 17. Some translations make this statement in reference to uh, fruit or fruitfulness. For instance, the English Standard Version or the ESV says it this way. The fruit that increases to your account. So meaning... As they gave, there was going to be fruit that came from their gift no matter what. Whether in a practical sense to Paul or in kingdom building in eternity, fruit was going to come. Or in the life of the Philippian believers and their maturation into becoming Christ-like, fruit was going to bear no matter what because of their gift. What Paul is describing here is that the ultimate result of the Philippian church's financial gift is their own fruitfulness in becoming more like the character of Jesus. This is why Paul greatly rejoices in their gift, because he is encountering firsthand that God's mission is bearing fruit. Essentially, Paul is saying, like, I see what God's doing in your life, and your gift shows that. I can see that God, you know, you didn't just abandon God. I can see that he is continuing to work in your life, and proof of that is that you have given to me in your poverty. 
The main takeaway is that the faith promise that the Philippian church made was going to bear fruit for God's mission, no matter what. It bore fruit in multiple ways. It bore fruit for the fruit of Christ-like character and those who gave sacrificially, meaning the Philippians, for the fruit of tangible benefit to Paul's physical needs, or for the fruit of Jesus being made known by physical needs being met for Paul so that he could maintain his work as a missionary. If you've ever seen any sort of award show, whether that's like a Hollywood award show or anything like that, most award shows, or even if it's a championship game, results in the actors or producers or athletes almost speechless when they receive their award, which is understandable with such amazing feats and accomplishments. It's like, what, what do I, like, you're dumbfounded, like, that you even received the award. Like, what do you say in that moment? But what often emerges in moments like that are moments of gratitude expressed in some way. Sometimes they include God, but at the least, they usually include gratitude for coworkers, teammates, family, friends, coaches, fans, etc. Even if God is not mentioned, moments like this are at least a remnant reality that people inherently know that they are not self-sufficient people. We achieve what we achieve or accomplish what we accomplish because we're part of a larger group of people. We get to participate in various awesome experiences because of our connectedness to others. Paul's recognition of the Philippian church's gift culminates in expressing this very truth. In verses 10 through 9 of Philippians 4, Paul highlights the Philippian church's need for God. What we encounter is that because God has so richly poured out his grace on the Philippian church, they are then able to participate in God's mission and support Paul and see fruit bore for God's kingdom. And because God has so richly poured out his grace on the Philippian church, Paul is able to participate in God's mission and minister and make Jesus known beyond himself in the Philippian church. God's mission is dependent on the participation of God's people. But know that God could do it alone if he wanted But he has afforded his people the opportunity to participate in his eternal and holy mission. It's out of privilege that we as followers of Jesus are brought into God's mission as contributors. And it's out of this reason that Paul concludes with praise to God to that effect. Paul recognizes that none of what he or the Philippian church are doing in the giving and receiving of offerings is possible if God has not either invited, if God has not invited either of them to participate or share in or contribute to his mission to reunite people back into relationship with the living God and Lord through following Jesus. When we recognize the wonderful reality that we have of the privilege of being part of and supporting the mission of God, the natural reaction is to praise God. And praising the awesomeness of God propels us to lean even further into what God is doing through his mission. What we encounter in Philippians 4 is that there is always fruit that comes to bear when we come to share in, participate, and contribute to God's mission. And one of the ways of sharing in or participating and contributing to the work of God's mission is through faith-fueled, sacrificial financial giving, just like we see the Philippian church doing. The Philippian church provides us an example of what happens when we make a faith promise, a faith-fueled commitment to sacrificially give financially to support God's mission 
through our mission partners. A faith promise always bears fruit for God's mission. A faith promise always bears fruit for God's mission. If you're here and you're curious about taking a step in joining God in mission, but you've not even begun that journey, we'd love to continue that conversation to help you take that step by being immersed or baptized into Christ Jesus. But if you're already here, if you're here and you're already following Jesus, you're invited to contribute financially to the mission of God. You're invited to take that step. If you're part of this particular congregation, we're inviting you to participate in the mission of God by making a faith promise. A faith promise is an anonymous pledge to contribute fill-in-the-blank amount of money you want per month for the rest of 2022 to support our mission partners. And if you want a better idea of who our mission partners are, if you as you leave this morning by the coffee bar, right above the coffee bar, you can see a list of where our mission partners are working around the world. You can make your faith promise either digitally at clarencecc.org. There's a button right there on the home screen that you can, can, can get you started. Or there's this green sheet that's on the table as you leave, and you can fill it out and place, uh, basically tear it in half. You keep part of it and put the other part in the basket. And that will help us be able to tally up how many promises we have. And that will help us then set the budget for what we give to our mission partners for the rest of the year. Faith promises are our way of being able to participate in the mission of God. A faith promise always bears fruit for God's mission. A faith promise always bears fruit for God's mission. And I hope you would consider joining God's mission in that way. Will you join me in prayer as we close? Father God, thank you for allowing us to even know about what you're doing in the world and how we are in need of being saved by you and that you have reached out to us to save us. And if we have taken you up on that opportunity, we're also grateful that you have extended us the privilege of contributing to your mission in the world. That you're not just someone who wants to do things by yourself, but you want to bring others into what you're doing. And you've allowed us the privilege of doing that. Father, help us to reflect on our own life situation. Think about the trials and tribulations we may undergo or our own financial situation. But help us to believe that if we want to contribute to your mission, you will provide a way. Help us to discern what that amount of money is that you want us to use to contribute to your mission and supporting the mission partners that we support locally here through this church body. Father, thank you for providing for us, and thank you for lavishly pouring out your grace upon us. It's by the power of your Spirit and through your Son, Jesus, that we pray this. Amen.